We're looking this morning at the parable of the rich fool. As I began to read through the passage a few uh, few days ago, uh, two sayings came into my head almost straight away, flowed in. First was, money makes the world go round. And I thought, where's that come from? I know the saying. Where's that come from? And the other thing that came into my head, the other little saying was, um, uh, the love of money is the source of evil. Both those thoughts just sort of came into my head before I'd even begun to think my way through the passage and where it might take us. And uh, it, I had to Google it, of course. I should have known, I suppose, that the phrase uh, money makes the world go round comes from the musical Cabaret. And those of you who are into those things, you'll know that Liza Minnelli made it fairly uh, well, as well as people my generation would know it. Anybody here, and I see somebody here who's going to bring our age group down, our age, average age down quite a significant amount, but most of us would, would know the name of Liza Minnelli. She made, it, she made it famous. Money does make the world go round, but the fact is that what we talk about as money is mostly possessions or th- anything but money. The, the actual thing called money, I've got some coins here in my pocket, um, cash actually only makes up 4% of what we call wealth. And when we talk about GDP and those things, um, the actual cash in floating around the economy is a very, very small amount, although people have uh, caseloads of it when they go to Crown Casino, we're told. Um, but uh, it's still only a very small proportion. Just out of interest, I have two farthings, not in circulation anymore. They have the head of King George V on them. I have a half penny, so two farthings. Four farthings a penny, two farthings a half penny. Come on, you're old enough to know that. Um, and the head of this half penny has Queen Victoria on it, so nice and old stuff. And the head of the penny is Queen Victoria. Now, of course, cash in the ancient world was all coins. There was cash, but it was not paper money as we know, no banks, etc., etc. So... Um, What we call money is really wealth. And that's what Jesus probably is talking about. Money itself, um, this this penny I have in my pocket, is no moral qualities whatever. Um, It's totally neutral. It's an instrument, instrument of exchange, whereby we're able... used to be bartering. You'd sort of take your pumpkin and swap it for some potatoes. But then somebody invented money, so that made life a lot easier. Um, but it's, money in itself is just an, a neutral instrument. What we do with it makes the difference. What we allow it to do to us, as Jesus says, is what really matters. Um, St Paul it was who said that money is the root of all evil. That's in his advice to Timothy. And Jesus elsewhere calls money, elsewhere in one of the Gospels, Jesus calls money mammon, which was, an, was, which was a, a local god of the day. Money has the capacity uh, to, um, to attract us away from where our heart should be. And uh, in Colossians, the reading we had this morning, where St. Paul is listing the good things and the bad things, put this stuff away, put this stuff on, and he talks about greed. And he adds, Jesus talks about greed in the parable, in the story of the rich fool, um, before he actually tells the story, invents the story, but St. Paul actually calls it Greed, which is idolatry, very similar to Jesus' use of the word mammon as an alternative to 
one's heart in God. Very interestingly, during the week I came across, I'll get to the passage in a minute, but I came across an article by Ross Gittins, who's the economics writer, he was, and this week he was writing about money and making the point that economists don't, he's an economist, don't um, often use the word money. They talk about the things that we, to which we give a monetary value. And so I, I thought I'd just read this little bit um, they rarely talk about money as such. Why do people work? To make money, of course, but economists prefer to say to earn a wage or, if you're a hotshot, a salary. Um, businesses sell things to get money, but economists prefer to say to make sales, to generate a turnover, um, after which they pay out money on wages and rent and after their other expenses, that leaves them with an income or a profit. So the word money is perhaps not used often. But it's interesting, in the parable, Jesus does not use the word money, but we guess he's talking about it. He talks about a rich man. He talks about him having abundant crops so that, he, uh, that puts him in a good position. And he thinks to himself... Um, what will I do? How will I handle this? And so he says, besides, I will pull down what I've got. It's not big enough, and I'll build bigger and better ones. And then he speaks to himself, and the conversation he has with himself is about his future. Oh, I know what I'll do, and I'm going to be very comfortable for a long time ahead. And, um, and I'll sit back, and I'll just take life easy. And Jesus calls him a fool. Very interesting why Jesus used that very strong language. Um, and then he takes a little quote from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is all about wisdom and the lack of it. And that's why I think Jesus calls him a fool. And he says, you've stored all this stuff up, but somebody else is going to get it. And then ends up and says, this is how it will be with everybody who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. It is, I think, a fairly confronting story. So both the, um, the, 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 the way in which the incident is introduced to us, somebody in the crowd asks Jesus to intervene in a family dispute, he declines to do that, um, and the, the, the upshot of the whole, the nine verses is, to the readers, to the listeners, Jesus was talking to the crowd, and he's really saying to them, don't be like this. Don't be like this chap I've just described to you. And the really confronting words, I think, in, the, in this little section are Jesus' words where he describes what life ought to be about. Um, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for the, your understanding of your life does not consist in what you own, a man's life consists, a person's life consists in much more than his possessions. So it's a kind of a challenge to make sure we have the right philosophy of life and understanding our own humanity. And then at the very end, very confronting, this is how it will be with anybody after the end of the parable about this night your life will be required. This is how it will be with anybody who is, stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. The songwriter, probably in the musical cabaret, Money Makes the World Go Round, 
probably had it right. On the whole, money does make, or wealth, or the pursuit of it, does make the world go round. As they say, money talks. And if you're wealthy, you're more likely to get your own way than if you're poor. Money does make a big difference in our world, and it always has, of course. In Jesus' world, it made a big difference. Why else did the chat call out? Please tell my brother to invite, to divide the inheritance with me. And three contemporary examples is really in our faces. Uh, the current interest or even investigation by journalists, the program last Sunday night, 60 Minutes, investigation into the goings-on in the Crown Casino empire, all about money. High rollers uh, coming in from mostly China, given quick visa access to spend their thousands, millions. One guy spent, what was it, how much in one year in Crown Casino tables? And it's reasonably well known and commonly believed that casinos worldwide are a place where you can launder money, ill-begotten gains, laundering of money. Much of that money coming from the illicit drug trade, uh, human trafficking, prostitution. A bit of a scandal, really. Nobody's prepared much to say, talk about it. And that's why when the investigative program, um, 60 Minutes, did it, it was a bit of a shock to both sides of politics, interestingly. Neither side is... They're all both fairly muted. Money makes the world go round... It silences voices, and a few perhaps speak up, but they'll be attempt, the attempt will be made to side them, sideline them. You could argue that the last federal election was pretty much about money, ranking credits, capital gains tax. And you could argue too that even the current interest in the Israel Folau business, for some people, He's the poster boy for religious freedom. But for other people, he's not the poster boy for religious freedom so much as the poster boy for greed. Somebody, a professional sportsman who owns a property portfolio, portfolio of between 8 and 10 million, then succeeds in getting 2.2 million from mostly church people to help him in his legal costs. Take your pick. I think it's very hard to argue that money doesn't make the world go round. Now, the incident with which these nine verses begin is as contemporary as it can be. Somebody from the crowd calls out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus, Jesus' response is immediate. Man, who made me a an arbiter or a judge between you. He refuses to get involved in that. And then makes the comment, it's virtually Jesus suggesting it's all about greed. He says, straight away, he says to the man who makes me a... uh, He refuses to get drawn, who made me a judge over you and your brother, between you and your brother. Then he says to them, that's the crowd, everybody listening, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So people aren't in any doubt as to what Jesus thinks about that particular request. I have a friend who's a retired judge. I asked him. Um, he, he lectures and, he, and he, he does a lot of arbitration 
in his retirement, so he's almost still working. Um, what, what's the... I, he lectures, I won't say where because I'll give it away a bit, but uh, he lectures at one of the universities here in Sydney and um, what do you, what's the arbitration about? He said, mostly estates. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's as modern as it can be, as contemporary as it can be. This, this, it may be 2,000 years old, this text, <laughs> but the issues that I put before us this morning are as contemporary as the breakfast you had this morning. Now let's look a little bit closer to what is in front of us. Nine verses, and an awful lot is packed into it. It's very simple. Very easy to understand what we're looking at, to see how it begins, how it unfolds and how it ends. But the implications of what Jesus is saying here to each of us, not just to them, not to outside, not to the, those people out there, to us. Because that's why we bother to read the Bible, is that what's it saying to us? That's the prayer. Please, Lord, speak to me this morning from your word. The implications are profound and confronting. And Jesus is suggesting that the wrong attitude, the wrong use, the pursuit, our attitude towards money can destroy us. It's not just kind of an itsy-bitsy thing on the side. He's actually saying it's fundamental to our understanding of ourselves as human beings, our humanity, and what we th- who we think we are and where we think we're going in all this. You fool. That's a very powerful statement for Jesus to use. Now, it's in the parable. It's in the parable. It's not, Jesus is not saying that to anybody around him. It's the end, the last line of the parable. So Jesus makes it very clear he will not be drawn into the issue that is brought before him. So that's the opening um, of, 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 the, of, of these um, nine verses. It begins with a question from somebody in front of Jesus. Then he makes it clear what he thinks of the question. He won't be drawn into it. He, to him it's all about greed. And then he tells this story, very simple story. He was a rich man. He had fortune to have good, good land, so he had a great crop. But he had nowhere to store it. And the, the, the crop, you see, represents wealth. The crop represents, well, money, I suppose. It represents, um, it's a bit like, I suppose, superannuation. Certainly he treats it like that. He says, um, I'll store it up and I'm ripe for the future. I'm okay. Now, superannuation is very important. Well, retirement's very important. Many of us here have got the big R word in front of us. We are in the state of retirement or whatever, something like that. So our nest egg, do you own your own home or you're paying rent? Makes a difference. How much are you getting in your monthly pension? Are you a pensioner? Or are you dependent, self, self, um, self um, financing retiree? Um, what's all this got to do with the sermon? What's all this got to do? Jesus brings it up, not me. <laughs> it's an issue. And, and it, it's, you say it's not religious. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's, it's at the very heart of our understanding of ourselves as people, as persons, our humanity, and our relationship with God. And Jesus is touching it, really. It's a tender point. 
And then what Jesus does very cleverly in the parable, he, he takes us inside the mind of the guy, this rich man, the parable of the rich fool. We get inside his mind and, um, and we hear how he thinks about things. And the reason is that he is described as a fool. And it's not because he's careful or sensible. It's because of his attitude. It's because of his attitude towards being careful, perhaps. And so we hear what he says. I'll, I'll build big, bigger and better barns. I'll improve the situation so I can store this safely. And then what he says Now, he could have said, so I can be generous to my neighbours. He doesn't say that. (laughs) So I can feed the rest of the village when the famine comes, as inevitably it did in first century Palestine. They were fraught with bad weather conditions. He's a wealthy man and he is only thinking about what this will do for him. I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. And then uses a statement that comes from Isaiah 22. And you hear, it, it comes up a couple of times. He says, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And that statement from Isaiah 22 is from a passage where God is saying through his prophet Isaiah to the people of Jerusalem, international events are making life pretty dicey for you guys. I think judgment is coming. And Isaiah looks on the people of Jerusalem and they're saying to themselves, doesn't bother us, we will eat, drink and be merry. And Jesus takes that and quotes it here. Deliberately, nothing accidental about anything that Jesus says or does. And his, his parables in particular are worth very careful if you're interested in what he's trying to say or what he is saying and we're trying to understand. Um, they pay dividends for careful attention. And then, as part of the parable, God speaks. And this is interesting that Jesus would God speaking in the midst of a parable. It's not that God is actually speaking. It's he becomes part of the story that Jesus, through which Jesus is using the story through which to make his point. And God says, you fool, this night your life will be demanded of you. And then God quotes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, all about wisdom. How to read, read, read things around you and make, come to good conclusions. See something, come to a sensible, sensible conclusion about it. Read the clues like a good detective. Understand what's going on around you. See something that's obviously dangerous, avoid it. See something that's warning you about something, take notice of it. And the person who doesn't do that, the, book of Ecclesi- the author of the book of Ecclesiastes says, it's a fool. Doesn't really look at life and learn from it. That's foolish behaviour. The wisdom literature of the Old Testament is full of that. That's quoted here now in, in the poem. Jesus is deliberately putting it there because he's, 
He's saying that and he's, he's talking to the crowd. He's not even talking to the guy who asked the question about the inheritance. He's now talking to the crowd. He's now teaching the crowd. So it's all very simple to understand, really. But it's quite profound, as I suggest. It's quite profound in its condemnation. And it's a condemnation of a certain philosophy of life that basically says the here and now matters very much and the other considerations kind of push to the edge. And the whole burden of Jesus' public ministry through the four Gospels is to urge men and women to take very seriously their proximity to God. And so the the kind of little quote that Jesus all the time is, repent or get hold of yourself, Think, think clearly. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is, God's right there alongside you. God's there. Looking over your shoulder, in your brain, understanding what you're thinking. Take him seriously. Now that's the burden. You can analyse, you could reduce the Bible down to that. Because the two great commands, the two great imperatives on every human being that has ever walked this planet, whether they know it or not, whether they recognise it or not, the two great imperatives as we begin the communion service every, every time we use it with, is to love God with all your heart and the corollary to, that, corollary to that and love your neighbour as yourself. And that is the summation of the burden upon every human life. That should be the summation of our life. He loved God. She loved her neighbour as herself. Everything else will kind of flow under that. And it's it's what Jesus is saying when he says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions or in the first first temptation of Jesus in the wilderness when Satan tempts him to, to walk not the way that God would have him walk, but to walk that Satan would have him walk. And the first temptation is, you are hungry, you've been here 40 days, turn these stones into bread, you can do that. And Jesus says, no, 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 man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man's proximity to God is the first call upon our understanding of ourselves. Who am I? I'm a child of God. I've been made in the image of Almighty God. And that's where I begin to understand who I am and what is required of me. We're made in the image of God. We're made for higher things. The two imperatives, never forget them. It sums up what Jesus is seeking to do. Love God, love neighbour. This guy knew that. The ending is confronting. You fool. This very night, your life will be required. And that is contemporary, as contemporary as it can be. A little bit of plaque can dislodge itself from one artery and move to either brain or heart, and the switch goes off. It can happen like that. No matter what's in the super account, no matter what's in the bank. So Jesus is offering a warning to all of us. The final words are confronting. There's no question about that. This is how it will be with everyone who stores up every things for himself, herself, but is not rich 
towards God. But I want to end by suggesting that Jesus is not just issuing a warning. The phrase is not rich towards God is offering us a way forward. He's also pointing to a way forward. forward. What, what What is he talking about when he talks about being rich towards God? What does being rich towards God mean? Well, I think our reading from Colossians suggests what rich towards God means. We used to have a lady come here. Most of you won't know her. Her name was Shirley Mackay. Marion knew her well and two others. When I first came here about eight years ago, I was asked to go to the Naringa up to Wurunga. Shirley had gone into a coma and was dying. And I visited her when she was comatose. So I offered a prayer over her. And that's my one and only contact with Shirley. We had a small funeral here. Her friends who knew her, there were about 20 of us here. Was that about right? About 20 of us here. And, um, and then everything unfolded. And um, eventually, Shirley's will became a bit of a... Um, Richard, you would have known Shirley Mackay, I'm sure. Um, Shirley's will was sort of revealed... And she lived in a small house in Chatsworth. And when the will, the sum of the amount, the will came to over eight million. And nobody, nobody knew about that. And um, then we discovered that she'd left it to an Anglican institution in Melbourne. And nobody to this day can understand what connection she ever had with the Diocese of Melbourne. And she left it to Benitas which is a, a, the institution or the, the, the arm of the diocese that provides nursing homes and, and retirement care. And they've built a, a whole wing. <laughs> That's right, isn't it? And we were just talking this morning that her ashes have just been released from wherever they were and they've been scattered in the rose, rose garden that's been built around this, this wing of this particular nursing home with the money that Shirley um, Mackay uh, had left to Benitas. And... You could say about Shirley, well, was it that she sat on $8 million? No, I would think the thing that we'd say about Shirley is that she was rich towards others. That $8 million, people are living in it. Elderly people are being cared in it. I think we could say, I don't think I'm stretching it too much to say that Shirley was rich towards God. And I don't think we're stretching it to say that that's what Paul is saying when he says, put off this old stuff, this nasty stuff. But put on, there's a new vocabulary of human behaviour here in Colossians this morning. We've read this morning. Let me read the words slowly to you. Put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. And then there, that's a, it must be winter because there's a lot of underclothes there. And then because Paul then says to put over it all, the top garment, love, which will hold it all together. 
Because that word sums up Jesus' own life, God's attitude to us. And we are meant to show we understand that by reflecting some of it back towards him. Next week, we'll come to a passage just a few verses lower. But Paul, the very next subject uh, Jesus goes on to speak about is worry. And how much suggestion in that section is that how much our depression and worry is caused by our concern about things. Clothes we will wear, etc. It says it suggests here. But he ends up with this paragraph, and I'll end up with it, because it's, I believe, a perfect description of what it means to be rich towards God. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also.